Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment and your host of Media Mavens podcast. And I'm super excited to be here with the CEO and founder of Check, Chris Kane. Hey, Chris. Hey, how we doing? Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I just spent 10 minutes talking about popcorn and Swedish fish with you. And then I almost messed up your title. No, wait, don't forget about the cookies, though. Yes, yeah, home-baked so, chips. So, so, so for everybody who loves nonprofit and technology, Chris Kane's favorite food is homemade chocolate chip cookies. Just saying. Write it down. We will take investments in money, financing, and chocolate chip cookies. Absolutely. Just lay down our priorities right now. I want mm-hmm. black licorice and popcorn, but all the chocolate chip cookies I'm sharing with you. You got yourself a deal. Done. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you guys on here. And I love that we chatted with you. You're the co-founder, Nick, like a few weeks ago. But I'm happy you're on here because I feel like the way the world's going with everything going on, like I love that there's more companies I'm actually running into now more than ever that are using technology for good to apply for nonprofits and humanitarian efforts. And that's one of the things I love about what Chuck is doing. But like, I want to kind of talk a little bit about like how we got here because you have a sports background and that's what led you into technology, sports leadership and technology and led you guys into creating Chuck, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you know, tying in with, you know, one kind of light bulb experience and, you know, that's why we're here. But you're happy to go into the story. Let's talk because I know you're also the host for your podcast, Sports Economy, which brings about mm-hmm. the best in sports, business, and philanthropy, which is so funny because I think I was a guest on three of the podcasts on sports leadership the other day. Then we had all of their podcasters on ours as the best of. So it's weird because I'm, I'm migrating to a lot of these podcasters that I'm on and have them on that have athletic sports backgrounds that are now running companies. And we had this conversation that there's something very, very distinct about somebody has an athletic background. They were in sports, played sports. They're an athlete of their leadership styles, as opposed to somebody who never had a sports background. I'm not saying just because you never, ever played in sports or with athletic doesn't mean you're not a good leader, but there's such a distinct leadership quality that I'm seeing in certain people that I'm attracted to, whether clients, friends or whatnot, that have sports background. They just, for some reason to me, I'm seeing better leadership. That's just my opinion. It could just be the team atmosphere, just could be taking charge and leading. But like you were in sports, was it, it was baseball or hockey? That's Nick. Yeah. So I was uh, football and mixed martial arts. Okay. Even better since, you know, Super Bowl, eight months away. But like, so what's oh, yeah. So you played for sports, like like you were an athlete, like you did both. Like how long did you play and how did that lead you into pursuing technology? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just to piggyback off of your earlier point is, you know, as a former athlete and, and athletes in general, it teaches you certain skills that are vital to honing leadership, even at an earlier age. And so things like the grit, the tenacity, the coachability, being comfortable with failure. You know, because you know, as an athlete in sports, you're failing again and again and again. And when you realize that that is just part of that process, those lessons and those reflexes and the building of those muscles now just correlates perfectly into the startup world. What is the startup world? But failing and failing and failing all over again until 
you eventually get it right or improve. And so, you know, for me, it was the same as honing those skills. One in particular was perseverance. That is, if I had to pick one, the per, you know, or I guess two, but uh, perseverance and tenacity. Those two skills from from my you know days as an athlete, I tap into those the most now in, in in the startup world and building check. I feel like it's ambition, like you know, ambition and leadership. Because like I always say, it regardless, regardless of what goes on, anybody can make a good decision. We all make easy decisions every day. Being the character of a true leader is making bad decisions, and it's how you pick yourself back up, how you handle yourself and those around you. And to me. That is an athletic quality because if you're leading a team, you're swimming, you're on the court, on the field, you have to, it's how you pick yourself back up, how you deal with the failures is keep going, find a way around it. And I I do think that is such a strong leadership skill that you have to see, you know, in, in the sports arena. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, true leaders come out when things aren't going well. It's very easy to be you know, a leader when everything is good, you're up by, you know, 10 or whatever it is, whatever sport you're playing. But when you're down by 10 and the clock's running out, that's when the people that are true leaders shine, because that's when it's the hardest. When you're able to really put that team on your back, maybe you're not even the best athlete. You know, you don't score the most goals or touchdowns, but you're able to lead the team and put everyone in the best position that they can be in to achieve that common goal, which in you know, sports is victory and in business is growth, profit, scaling. And you know, then it's bringing everyone else with you at the same time. It's the whole team effort. I you know, think, I think team sports at least. Be, I think in order, what makes a really good leader is being a good team player. Because you got to know when to stand back, let them run with the ball, take the shot, lay it up, set them up, make sure their best attributes and talents are coming forth. That makes you a team player to support that other team member, but you also have to lead by example. And so I just feel mm-hmm. like I look at, like I was with a good friend of mine. We were course at the Clippers this past season. And there's a player, particular player, I'm not a fan of because he's only on the court's highest scoring guy because they have too many injuries. He did a great job scoring, but you could tell on the court with the ball, he was not a good player. He was showboating. He was little extra all about me. And you know, in basketball, you got to have 17, any under three shots, 17 seconds is a perfect basket. It's got to touch three sets of hands, lay it up, support it, drop it in in under 17 seconds. He was literally sitting there holding the ball and he, he hit about 28 to 31 seconds before the clock timed out. He wouldn't pass it. He wouldn't mm-hmm. be a team player. And the best players have to pass the ball three hands before the layup under 17 seconds. That is the art of most shots on the court. This is a guy who literally held that ball, never passed it, never shared it. And he just yelled and screamed everybody. And then when he, he didn't get benched, I say bench, but when they brought him off like in third quarter, fourth quarter to give him a break, right? Mm-hmm. Injuries came back, so they slowly get let the bigger guys slowly build back up because they were out for injuries. You could just see the dynamics on the court between the players, the teamwork, the respect. It was absolutely beautiful basketball. It was just like beautiful art. You could just see them in sync, working together. It was so flawless and beautiful to watch. You didn't see that energy and that teamwork when this other guy played any given minute on the court, any quarter, he would never pass. He was disruptive. You could tell he was like, hey, it's all about me, all about me. He wasn't about the team. But once he was removed, because we were, for some reason, my friend, David Nurse, who was a former 
player and coach for the Nets. He has his own podcast and books. So we were at there. We were literally huge basketball fans, obviously, but we were analyzing the game. And there's one player that was cracking. He needed to G league this guy because I just didn't like him because I don't think he was a team player and he didn't show leadership, but he did it on the courts in front of the teams, the coaches, the fans, the public. And there was such a distinct difference as soon as he was off the court of how beautiful the team came together. It was very easy and calm. It wasn't yelling and chaotic. They were so in sync. This person is not a team player. He's not a leader. Mm -hmm. He was put in a role. He had such an opportunity to lead a major NBA team, but he didn't have the skill set. And I always say, never, ever lead by your ego. It's the biggest detriment. It's just going to screw up you, your team, your company. I hate when people, CEOs, get that ego driven. I don't need any help. We could do it all. We, I mean, we're a PR firm. So when they say we don't need PR, we're so great. We're so great. I'm like, that's ego. You're 97% of startups won't make it to your five without PR and marketing, but they're not understanding. They're so good at what they do. Their ego is preventing them from bringing in mm-hmm. a solid team around them. So like take that on the court, take it into the corporate world. It's the same skill set, which is why if you were an athlete or sports and you're an athlete, you have that distinct skill set. You know, it has to carry through in a company and corporate environment. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, you know, on the basketball example, uh, you know, a great, a great book on leadership by uh, basketball legend, John Wooden, you know, Central Wooden. It's a great book. You know, UCLA coach. Nice. That's okay. So <laughs> we've covered the whole sports world. And the chocolate chip cookies and black licorice, but let's talk about what's going on present day right now. I love that you guys are running Chuck. Let's talk about what Chuck's doing because I know your background in sports with you, Nick. I know that's why you guys are good leaders in the business world because you guys have that tenacity, that determination, that team drive. But like, let's just talk about Chuck because Chuck is a non. And I'm going to screw this up, so correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are a nonprofit that helps the transparency flow of from donation to get into the hands that you donated to, correct? Or am I a little off on that? A little off. So we're not a nonprofit. We're a for-profit company. And so to kind of give you the, the quick, you know, one-liner of it is, you know, so Check is a, you know, fintech, a payments specifically and data company. And so, you know, what we're doing is we're revolutionizing the movement of money for the U.S. social sector. And so we're doing this by creating the first single platform solution to power the entire flow of funds, which at the end of the day, through all the data from end to end, the money in, money out, the entire equation is being able to measure that true impact of the dollar as aligned with the mission or the purpose of our client organizations. And so just to give you a bit of understanding is that- Yeah, you know, you're not a nonprofit, but your technology and the software, the platform you built is used by a lot of nonprofits. Correct. And it's also, you know, why we say the U.S. social sector is, you know, nonprofits or a 501c3 charitable organization. That's, you know, just one area within the social sector. But, you know, you have 501c1 to, you know, 29. There are all sorts of, you know, types of organizations. 501c3s are one of our big focus, but, you know, a university is also 501c3. Research institutions, 501c3s. You know, the NFL is a 501c3. All these pro sport leagues. And so that that is is much more encompassing. That cracks me up that you had NFL in the same sense as nonprofit, given how much money they pay players and teams and how much money that organization makes. I mean, if you look at the Super Bowl, look at any given team. I know you play football and I'm a huge sports girl, but how do we call the NFL a nonprofit? Just to pivot for a second, when players are making millions of dollars 
a season when there's so much money being shoved out and the money's coming in through F&B, merch and tickets. How is NFL a nonprofit if they're making so much money? It's not about the money. It's just how they set it up. I don't specifics. It's a brilliant move tax-wise that they thought that in hindsight and grandfathered into that. Okay, it's a whole other conversation for another podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. But now, but I mean, so I love you're doing this. So like, because we talked about this previously, you know, we talked about like with projects we've worked on as an agency mm-hmm. where, you know, with like the AG, we are the world when Haiti got hit and, you know, 120 artists in the studios redoing the remake of, you know, we are the world. And I knew because we ran point on all of that. And for every download on iTunes of that song, percentage went towards helping those in Haiti. And mm-hmm. OK, so we had 120 artists. Quincy Jones, you know, Lionel Richie, we had AG. It was a tremendous production. So, okay, there's a lot of heavy overhead. We get that. But if a percentage, and iTunes takes their cut, the percentage of every download goes towards Haiti. Like To me, my big issue is where, when I spend that money or I donate, like you said, the flow of where it goes and transactions, do I really know my money's going towards going because there's it's not there's no transparency. And then, you know, I think what nine months or a year later, John Stossel or somebody was down there, people are still dying, they're in refugee camps. All this money that poured in through all of these sources, not just we are the world with iTunes, where is that money? Because these people are still suffering. And we talked about this mm-hmm. like billions of dollars pays the board of Red Cross. It doesn't go towards to the people. So I mean, and they're a nonprofit, but that's where I think the transparency of the flow of the money, where it's going, the software to track it, all of that I think is so critical that people need to be aware. If I'm donating anything, I need to know the software I'm using or if my company's doing a nonprofit or humanitarian efforts, it's critical to take that money in and have the transparency to know where it's going. A hundred percent. And and before I get into that, just quick correction, the NFL in this book is 501c6, which is still within the social sector, but they actually got rid of that exempt status a few years ago. So just didn't want to leave yeah, that yeah, out there. But uh, out there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, with you know the transparency in, in donations, the use of funds, how much money is actually going towards the cause is imperative. And so when you look at the entire structure of, of the flow of funds within you know, the social sector or just for a charitable organization, you have a lot of disjointed tools, you know, disjointed processes that, you know, whether it's, you know, from the donors, you know, the individuals, corporate entities, grants, when that's coming into the nonprofit, that's one tool. Now, how it's getting through that organization and then eventually out, all these different pieces, they don't talk. There's high costs that aren't built for this sector. The visibility is non-existent. And so the data gets lost in each step. And so when, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have an organization filing the 990s, that's what a lot of people just rely on saying like, okay, this is what they did. But the actual objective data to say, hey, you know, 80 cents of every dollar, 85, 90, whatever it is, went directly to the cause before check, you couldn't really do that. You couldn't say that, that, you know, for absolute certainty that that was into the hands of somebody that needed it for that purpose. And we, as a society, we hear the horror stories of, oh yeah, this this event happened and they raised a billion dollars and where'd it go? That's a problem. Because now not only are you disincentivizing people from donating because they feel they kind of got sold a bit of you know snake oil, or like what's going on? And like you said, is it just inflating uh, or just 
you know, continue to inflate these high salaries sometimes, Plus, but it's all about the transparency. Can if so, for a company and we're taking in millions of dollars to give towards mm-hmm. humanitarian causes, can you, the donor, see like if I donate a million dollars to the company, can I log on because you're using check and see that my money and where my money's going to, to, to verify? Because there's a company called Givebox. I mean, they're a startup, they're not around anymore years ago, like most startups, unfortunately. And it was a transparency every. Every single dollar, you could see the transaction, the banking, where it's going, where it's stopping, and the end result. It was such a brilliant, brilliant place. Exactly what you guys are doing. It was for mobile. It was so easy. They lacked the leadership to get the company off the ground, which unfortunately, because it was a great opportunity, and their egos destroyed the rest of their company. But like, and that's kind of what you guys are doing right now, I mean, in various form. But I know they set it up, and a few companies like DonorBox, there's so many out there and it's great. I could say 80%, 60%, 32% and a half is going towards this and we could back it up with proof, with check. But as a donor, how do I know that my money is really going there? Because let's be honest, it's all about spinning the story, changing the narrative in PR. But if you're taking money and donations, I feel the people donating need to have the exact same transparency as a company's using check on their side. 100%. And so that's, you know, where we focus a lot on the disbursement side right now, the money out. One of the things that we're, we're building in is what is, you know, I guess you, know, you could say called the money inside. More specifically, it's uh, Payfac, Payments Build Facilitation. And I'm not so familiar with, uh, was it DonorBox? Was that the, the DonorBox company you were speaking of? DonorBox now where like if you're taking in donations or you're a nonprofit, you could layer the API in the back. Yeah, yeah. Givebox yep. is the one that tried to Givebox, do okay. yep. So the the issue with a lot of those companies, without you know going to specific ones, is the underlying technology, the, the payment facilitation technology, isn't their own. So they're built on whether it's a Stripe, Audion, another sort of technology. So one, their kind of floor of cost they need to pass on to make money because how they make money is charging whether it's four or five percent on. You know the money that goes through, which is now taking it out of the nonprofit's pocket just as the money comes in, but it's because they don't own or haven't built that underlying technology. And so when you don't own it, you can say to a certain degree, like, okay, it went in here. But if you don't also control the disbursement side, you can't actually say you know where it went. And you know that's exactly what we're trying to do is that full flow, money in, money out, and that full transparency, and then the measurement through the data, the AI, the ML of the actual impact of that dollar. And so from a donor perspective, if a client wanted to have a donor be able to choose where it was going, those are just tools we can provide them, right? We don't mandate, you know, for example, a nonprofit control the spending for, you know, one thing, which they can do on the check platform, but we give them the tools to do that. And so if they wanted to say, hey, you donate $100, 80% of it is going to go directly to the cause, 20% of it is going to go to admin. And you, as a donor, you're like, okay, right? And they want to be able to pass that data back to you, 100%. We can enable that. So for a company, so if I'm a company, do I just layer checks like API over my gateway payment gateway, if it's a Stripe or PayPal, or whichever gateway that I use? So we would replace it. Okay. So if I'm using Stripe, I will replace it with check. And then I'd have obviously all the functionalities of the transparency, the tracking, the AI and everything on top of it. Yep. And so that payback is coming, you know, mid-23. You know, that gives that full flow. So think of it as where we're going is that one solution, right? That full flow of the money in what's doing the organization and then out to actually impact is just one solution, which is check. 
God. It's, I mean, I love that it's heading to, it's just, all, I guess the whole big thing is there's a lot of nonprofit. You still have overhead. You still have salaries. You still have vendors, software you have to pay. I just think that's where it gets tricky because a lot of people don't want to reveal where your money's going. If I, you know, they don't want to be transparent. They don't want people to stay on the website. Well, I want my money to go here, here, and here. If I gave you this much, where's it's going? Because people don't want to justify the headaches of telling every single donor from 25 bucks to 25,000 where it's going to exactly this and this person because your overhead and money still have to come out of there to keep the company going. And I do feel for some of these nonprofits and NGOs because their heart's in the right place. They do have Mm -hmm. heavy fees to keep things going. So they do the best they can. And so I I do think it's a kind of a gray area and it's just kind of a sticky situation because you need all the money to help save lives. But, you know, if you don't have money to pay your bills and your staff to keep it going, there is no life to save. And that's where I think, I think it's more of a political conversation of people donating money. And it's just, you know, I think COVID has made it worse. People are giving money. They want to know what specific person is going to and how much of it, but companies don't release that because then they become a target for trolls and stuff. And they don't need to release that. I think it's just, unfortunately, I want to say it, it's educating ignorant people who don't understand how a business needs to be ran. Somebody's got to mm-hmm. pay people don't work for free. And that's exactly. where I feel for all the nonprofit, not all of the nonprofits, let's just be honest, because we all know the monies are public, what Red Cross and some of these nonprofits make. And we know less than 5% goes to the people, just to the, the balls, parties to raise money to. And no board member on that level should be making $8.9 million. I, it's just out of control. Mm-hmm. But I do feel for all the other billions of nonprofits who just generally humanitarian-wise, they want to do good and help people and they're doing their best. It's just hard for them to figure out because they exactly. need to, And they've got to straddle that line of transparency having that data to back it up, like with the check offers, but without going too crazy. So there's the other side, right? So, you know, there is two prongs, right? There's the logistics, right? Of how to do what you need to do. And then the data, which is understanding, learning, process improvement. And so transparency is a huge part of that, but it's also internally getting better. And so, you know, what we were referencing before is, you know, when people say, okay, you know, 80% of every dollar goes to the cause. It's a bit misleading because it just depends because you can't use that one metric and now judge all nonprofits by that because some missions, some initiatives of nonprofits, you can't get a high percentage of each dollar to now accomplish that mission. So that's why we say it's measuring the impact of that dollar. And it's not just saying, okay, you had the highest percentage of that dollar went directly to the cause. It's unique to that nonprofit and their mission and what they're doing because every initiative is different and needs to be looked at as you know unique and different. So, uh, so is this is this is it mainly for a nonprofit? Because we talked a little bit like the fact that this is built for nonprofits is tremendous. But are there other platforms and areas of or phases of check coming up that can be used beyond just the nonprofit for total <laughs> transparency? Yeah. So, I mean, our initial verticals, you know, is the charitable organizations, right? Then you have also universities, right? So think student athlete, Pradeep, stipends, then also university research, right? So they kind of straddle the line between how charitable organizations want to operate and then also a more typical kind of corporate expense scenario, 
But it's the same thing is measuring the impact of that dollar on their desired outcome and now making it more streamlined, improving the processes. Now also understanding their own you know, universe from a data and operations perspective. Where are the process improvements? And then there's also from the NIL world, right? You talk about NIL collectives, things like that. But you know, beyond the the social sector, you know, that is something that we have on the roadmap of things to address. But the you know, the social sector and, and the the different tools, innovations that we want to provide to them is still is, you know, it's our main focus. It's a very large market with a lot of unaddressed frictions. So, you know, we're sticking there for for right now. And how long have you guys been around for? Since 2019. Okay. Now, like what brought you guys to the point where you wanted to create the company? How what was it like a specific inspiration, something personal you guys donated? I mean, what was it that drove you guys to create the company? Yeah. So for me, you know, I started my career, you know, first, you know, athlete, you know, we talked all about that kind of stuff, you know, had that. It's always a contrarian by nature. When someone was like, oh, Chris, you should go this way. I'm like, nah, I'm going this way. You know, after college, you know, many moons ago, moved back to New York, where I was originally from, started working in the hedge fund space. And then, you know, after a bit in there, that kind of uh, kindling of, of that entrepreneur energy really just burst in the flames. And so, you know, I started a uh, first company and in the process of building that, and it was, you know, tied to the payment space. And then uh, fall 2019. So uh, I was always been involved with, you know, philanthropic organizations and Hurricane Dorian hits the Bahamas. And so a nonprofit philanthropic organization I was, I was working with, they called me up and you know, said, Hey, Chris, you know, would you want to fly down to the Grand Bahama Island to help people on the ground? And I said, sure. So, you know, I spent a week down there and all the nonprofits on the ground, one of the things that I saw was that, you know, none of them could get money where it needed to go when it needed to be there. So that left volunteers dipping into their own pockets to pay for substantial things like pallets of water, shipping it from Florida back over to the island, never to be reimbursed. And so that was really that light bulb moment for me where I was like, wow, this is a massive, massive unaddressed friction. You know, what's going on here? And as I started talking to more people, you know, saying, hey, like, would this be useful for you? Would that be useful for you? And eventually, you know, it was just like, hey, we got to tackle this. This is too big of an unsolved problem. So ended up, you know, really just pivoting and forming check. Wow. I mean, it's amazing. Like who like, okay, what is one of your, and I, you can't say this probably, but like, what is your favorite organization, nonprofit that for you, not just client wise, but just what is your favorite? My favorite type or like, is that is that the question? Okay, you have clients, so okay, personally, <laughs> you know, without checks, like, what is your like, what is your like favorite top two favorite charities that you support, you believe in? Because we all donate, because we all have a passion about certain causes around the world. Like, what are your top two? So my top two, both equal, would be sport nonprofits, you know, that are providing kids the ability to you know participate in sports and and gain those benefits that we were talking about earlier on. Yeah. Um, that really is just truly life-changing. And then just as equally is military nonprofits. So supporting our veterans. I mean, you know, those are, are two areas that are very closely held, you know, to the, you know, to my own personal values and, you know, to the values of the company where, you know, it's purpose plus values equals mission. You know, that's what we say. It's what we believe. Okay. So what I love about your answer is one, you know, ESPN citizenship, right? Familiar. ESPN, I, I love these guys. They've been on our podcast. Kevin's amazing. ESPN citizenship is about all, all the sports, all the athletes doing good, doing better and donating. So ESPN citizenship, you know, there's some cancer research funds. There's so many 
nonprofits around it. And their whole big thing is taking sports and doing good with your athletic and your sports. So it's, it's ESPN and the ESPN umbrella, mm-hmm. and they have nonprofits they support. And their whole thing is citizenships. If you're in sports, you're an athlete, you have a passion, you have, you know, your own charities throughout your career, they turn that into helping others. It's such a tremendous organization. If you look up ESPN citizenship, it's all about sports, but it's all about giving back to certain causes and charities through sports. I love them. They're one of my favorites. The other one on the military side that you mentioned that is Mm -hmm. because on the podcast, we created Global News Watch, which is all all about global news breaking stuff around the world. Our co-host, host, our co-co-host, he's on like every month. So I guess he's our recurring guest, but it's Mick Mulroy. He's like former CIA military intelligence, former deputy of security and defense to the Middle East. He's ABC's biggest security defense analyst. I mean, you're talking SEAL team, everything. This guy is no mm-hmm. joke. He is doing so many interviews from when the Taliban, Afghanistan, to what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, around the world. He is literally giving out ground truth, scooping United, you know, um, what's coming out, the White House. I mean, he is that guy mm-hmm. and everything. It's insane. So when he does, things are breaking. You know, he has CNN, New York Times, ABC, then we're next, just because he's on our podcast every month with updates. But it's amazing that he's releasing. Like, he always tells me, there's a White House truth. This is where I learned this from. Mick, oh, yeah. not from my own PR experience, unfortunately. There's a White House truth and there's a ground truth. The White House truth, just not to get too political, is what they want us to see and hear and believe via media. And then there's a the ground truth of these CIA's military intelligence guys that are on the ground who are there in conflict zones to try to quell the conflict before the government steps in and gets crazy. That's the ground truth, what's really going on. So and it's mm-hmm. amazing. So I always, I always use White House truth versus ground truth now in everything based on being a PR firm. What's really going on and what we want people to believe, changing the narrative. And his business partner, I mean, Eric is amazing. Ali was not, he was a SEAL, but he was a commander of the SEAL team. They created mm-hmm. a nonprofit, Lobo Institute. And the nonprofit is an NGO with mm-hmm. monster, impressive military guys. And it, it's a nonprofit for child soldiering, you know, kidnappings, kids. I mean, they're all about global conflict, but they created a nonprofit for, you know, a military aspect of everything that's going on. And they're, they're an NGO, but I'm just, the reason why I'm saying that is because I love that the two things you said that what your biggest passions are, are like two things close to me. And one of them we have on our show every single month. That's why I screw up the titles because he has a damn ass longest title, you know, intelligence, military, defense, security, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And every time we're on take breaks, I start cracking up because I just cannot get that whole thing out. My mouth is <laughs> cracking up. So when I get to the shorter CEO and founder, it's not that difficult. I like take two. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. I need to make some interest to you on this podcast because I love that your passion is like in two of our strike zones right now, you know? But I think, Absolutely. It's, I think it's important. Like, again, you guys are a startup. It's all about making sure your message is getting out there to the right people because it's tremendous what you guys are doing. I think there's been a need for what Chuck is doing. And just, you, know, you have a little some startups, you don't quite make it. They die on the vine. They don't have PR, they lose funding, leadership, whatever. You guys have literally like taken this, like literally ran the ball down on this to where it's actually out there. It's live. It's an active working platform. And I love that about you guys that um, Chuck is here. And I know you have a lot of clients you can't really talk about, 
their specific clients. But I mean, I mean, Evie, I'm assuming your platform is actively in use. You're not in startup. Oh, yeah. You're actively GA. Okay. 100%. So if anybody wants one to know more about Chuck, they're looking for a platform or more importantly, if they need to send you chocolate chip cookies, where do we yes. send them? <laughs> so first, you know, checkspend.com and check is C-H-E-K and it's spelled that way. There's actually a, a really interesting story, you know, on the word history of C-H-E-C-K, the word check as we typically understand it. Which you're going to share. Do you want me to share it? I do. Okay, I will. Yeah. So the website is checkspend.com. And yeah, if you find me on on LinkedIn, Chris Kane on LinkedIn, yeah, those would be the two best places. And so the story. So, you know, check is roots start in the game of chess. And so, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here. I don't have the, the paragraph uh, pulled up in front of me. And so I think it was around 600 AD, you know, the game of chess was in, you know, the Middle East. And as they would play it, they would say the word Shah, when, which literally translates to king. And that was their word for what we would, you know, understand as checkmate. And so as that continued to, you know, move into Europe, it became a Czech. And so it's the same thing of checkmate. And then as it continued to move, as it's you know making its way into you know into England and, and English, it stopped and became Czech C H E C K. And so why we chose that was that was the first iteration of the word where it took on the financial sense of meaning that it still carries today. And so why it took on that was you think of you know what is check a checkmate? It is basically an assurance of victory, right? And so. From there, it, the financial sense is, okay, a banknote, right? This is an assurance that this money is good, right? A check that we understand today, a paper check, what is it? It is a validation and assurance that this is worth that amount of money. And so, you know, then eventually moved into common English where we have the two words of C-H-E-C-K and then, you know, C-H-E-Q-U-E, which now carry all the different meanings of the word. But for us, you know, and why we have the queen piece within the H of our logo, you know, if, if you haven't noticed, you know, is because what we do is we provide that validation, that assurance, that understanding around the entire flow of funds, that this is countable, it is transparent, we are able to measure and, you know, really provide, you know, not only the logistical improvements on this entire flow, but also unveiling those new insights and understanding that's objective and in context. And so with a lot of like, not to go down to the rabbit hole, but with all the data that we see, take an example of a company that sees almost millions, millions, millions of transactions, like a MasterCard or Visa, right? They see all every transaction that you make. They have no context behind it. They can extrapolate certain meanings from a whole in a statistical sense. But for us and our clients, we know exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it, why someone received it, what they're supposed to be spending on, or what category, what realm, them as the recipient that they got the money for. So now this data in context, you can really use it to learn what's going on and not just to be retroactive, but proactive next time from the from the client's perspective. I love it. I always say like being like in an agency with all these startups, it's like a game of chess. You've got to checkmate as much as you can. I always use that analogy. So it's a game of chess. Oh my God. I love, okay. One, love, love the story. That was tremendous history there. Two, mm. it was so good having you on the show. You'll have to keep us posted and as chess evolves. 
down the road and everything. I'd love to have you guys back on. It was good. Thank you for taking some time to come on and chat with me. Absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been good. Chris, love having you on. This is Sarah Miller, Media Mavis Podcast. We'll see everybody soon. And don't forget to send us black licorice and chocolate chip cookies. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavis Podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.